Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. As you know, Lassandra always said, take it away. For me, Eurovision is much more than just a job, but it's part of me. Giannis, let me say, we were your first ever Eurovision interview way back in January. I remember! So Gisli Baltarsson, Iceland's commentator, welcome to the Eurotrip. Thank you very much and thank you for the Eurotrip. I've been listening to you. Being face to face, yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> I was going to say, your beautiful face. <laughs> I was like, But it is cute. beautiful as well, though. We were talking on the phone. Yes. Do you want to have a hug? Yes, please. Yeah, that would be great. Cornelia Jacobs, congratulations. Thank you. Give me a hug. Hi there, my name is Martin Estadal. I am the executive supervisor of the Eurovision Song Contest. You are listening to Eurotrip. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Eurotrip, the world's favorite Eurovision podcast with me, Rob. Me, James. And we are here with our very special, it's now become an annual tradition, festive episode, festive bonus, James, where we are joined by the biggest names in the world of the Eurovision Song Contest. And this year, the 2022 festive bonus is no different. Go on, do us the honours. Yeah, this week, or this year, for Christmas, your very special Christmas treat from us to you is the one and only Andrew Cartmel, the executive producer of the Eurovision Song Contest of 2023. And that is just one of his many impressive titles. That is, of course, the role that he is taking on for Eurovision this year with the UK hosting. Before that, of course, head of delegation for the UK at the Eurovision Song Contest for many years, including, of course, last year when Sam Ryder did so well for the United Kingdom in Turin. So we'll have more insights into 2022. But Andrew's links to Eurovision go back much further than that. Yeah, Andrew's first ever Eurovision Song Contest was way back in 2002 when the contest was hosted in Tallinn in Estonia and he's been in various roles ever since then so he's seen the contest from every angle possible and in 2023 he has arguably one of the most important jobs. You'll have heard us chat to Sita Backer here on the podcast in the past. Well he's effectively the Sita Backer of 2023. And Andrew never gives interviews. You will never have heard Andrew before on a podcast like this one because you rarely hear from him, mainly because he's so busy doing all of these important jobs. Yeah, this is an exclusive. So we've got all that and more to come. You're listening on Acast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. This is the Eurotrip. So as I always say, here we are then, another week, another edition of the Eurotrip, but... That is not doing justice to what you are going to listen to on today's episode. It's our festive bonus. We've done this before on the podcast. James, we've had many lovely festive episodes down the years, haven't we? 2020, you had an incredibly long conversation with Paul Harrington, Charlie McGettigan, the rock and roll kids, Mm. didn't you? I I think that unedited interview was about 
four hours long <laughs> four days more like yeah that that was a treat that one and the same yeah lee smithhurst who obviously works very closely to andrew cartmel last year rob i think we spoke to karen gunnison from svt one of the the leading producers of melody festival and, and you spoke to the one and only yonola sand the one and only Mr. Take It Away himself, Jon Sand, <laughs> joined us for our festive special last year. But this year, James, we've already said it. It is an exclusive. Wow. Andrew Cartmel is on the podcast, a man that we have been chasing for many a long year. And we finally got him, <laughs> or at least you finally got him. I want to give you all the credit because it's thanks to you that we've got him on the pod. And this is going to be such a brilliant insight. It absolutely is. Yeah, I remember when I spoke to Andrew and um, asked him if you'd come on, he said it would be his pleasure. I do believe he's a listener to the podcast as well. So hopefully we're doing him justice. Uh, But Andrew is full of insights. Like Rob says, he's never done an interview like this before, despite his, what's that going to be, 20 years of experience in the world of the Eurovision Song Contest. He's been a, a producer, he's been a head of delegation, he's going to be the executive producer next year. It's safe to say his stories are going to be so, so illuminating. Great use of the word illuminating. And I'm pleased you've used that word because me and you talking to each other, we can see each other. The listeners can't see this, but you've got your Christmas tree up behind you. I've got my Christmas tree next to me here. So come on, let's have a bit of Christmas music. It's the festive bonus after all. Ah, wonderful stuff. It's even more festive than it was before, which is a lot more festive because it wasn't festive at all before I said that. (laughs) But we now do have an Andrew Cartmel-sized gift to unwrap under the tree. (laughs) Don't get me wrong, it's a big tree, it's a tall man. (laughs) Uh, Before we get to it, though, shall we just give you a little bit more of an insight into Andrew Cartmel? We mentioned he's got about 20 years' experience in the world of Eurovision. His first ever contest, he'll tell you a little bit more about it, was way back in 2002 in Estonia. He was a producer for a TV show in the UK on the BBC, and that was his first ever experience. He then went on to produce some of the semi-final coverage on the BBC, and then, what would that be? A decade ago, in 2012, he became the head of delegation, working with Engelbert Humperdinck, and I bet that was an experience and a half. Yeah, I bet. And then he had a few years off, didn't he, in the intervening period? And then he came back, I think 2019 with his, was his first Eurovision back as head of delegation as well. And he's had that role ever since until, of course, this year when he takes on the role of executive producer. One of my favourite things from this interview is the relationship that Andrew has had with so many of the big Eurovision names when it comes to BBC Eurovision. Because we've all seen the scenes, of course, in the green room, especially in 2022 when all the 12 points came in or all the celebrations Andrew wasn't there because where was Andrew Andrew was in the commentary box and that's normally where he positions himself during the grand final so he's there with Graham Norton and that's a really interesting insight that we'll be able to bring you as part of this chat a little bit later so yeah if you want to know what it's like being in the commentary box stay tuned Andrew will tell you all about it if you want to know what it was like when tap music first got involved with the BBC, Andrew will tell you about the first time he went to the offices and had to have a pitch with them to get them on board. Imagine the scenes of that, the BBC and tap music first coming together. We know how good of a success story that's been already with Sam Ryder earlier this year. Does this mean that somewhere on Andrew's laptop there's like a PowerPoint presentation that just says like (laughs) BBC Eurovision and tap music. Like, oh, oh, imagine if you got your hands on that. It literally just says one slide says, we've not done so well lately, please help us. And they were like, yes, absolutely, bring us (laughs) on board. And then there's another couple of slides that say, please, please, please. And then another one that says, honestly, we're desperate. (laughs) We know how much of a good relationship that became to be though, didn't we? Uh, After Sam Ryder this year. And then, of course, we couldn't not talk to Andrew about 2023 in his new role as executive producer. He is one of the most important people in charge of the contest next year. I think I said that a little bit earlier. So he'll give us an insight into how he got that role, what the role looks like, just how busy he is. Give you a little heads up. It's very busy. And how he wants to look back at the contest after it's taken place next year. Now, whenever we bring you these special bonus episodes on the podcast, we, of course, love to hear from you. We know you love getting in touch. 
especially when it is to do with the BBC and Eurovision. So we really want to hear from you. Let us know your thoughts on everything that you're about to hear at Eurotrip Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Send us an email, hello at eurotrippodcast.com if you want. And also, that's where you need to go if you want to read some of our exclusive stories that have come out of this conversation that James has had with Andrew as well. So let's get into it, shall we? This is what happened when I sat down with the executive producer of Eurovision 2023, Andrew Cartmel. Andrew Cartmel, it's a pleasure to have you along because I feel like you're sort of a, a mysterious figure. I feel like we always hear your name, but we, we never hear from you. So uh, it's great to, great to have you along. It's a pleasure, James. Absolute pleasure. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm not, um, I'm not on Twitter. Maybe that's one reason I'm sort of not known quite so much as um, lots of other heads of delegations. Um, but yeah, no, it's an absolute pleasure to talk to you today um, and talk to you, you know, about um, Eurovision and my history with the contest. Which goes back, I was going to say a long way, but that sounds like it's a rude thing to say. You can tell us a little bit later how far that goes back. But should we start with a bit of reaction to 2022? When did you get a sense that 2022 was going to be a big year for the UK and the BBC? Well, I think what happened, you know, we, we were all obviously very disappointed with the result in 2021 from Rotterdam. Um, from Rotterdam. But it, it gave us the incentive to really start afresh um, but myself and Lee, we've both been involved in the Eurovision you know, UK delegation over the years, but we've never been in the position where we could directly influence the choice of the artist and the song. I've been head of delegation a few times, but typically I would always come coming to the team quite late, sort of January, February time, by which time a lot of those decisions have been taken. So myself and Lee, along with our commissioner, Rachel Ashdown, um, we sort of started almost immediately um, as soon as we got back from Rotterdam and we were like, Right, we have to change this. We we love the competition. We we understand what it takes to do well. Um, so we've got to look at it completely afresh, and that's what we did. We, you know, we worked really hard um, to ensure that we had the right resource. And by that, I don't just mean money. It's not just about money. It's about time as well. You have to put the time and effort in. Um, so we we you know we we put a plan in place, um, and we also came to the conclusion quite quickly. You know that we are. TV professionals, that's what we do as a job. Um, but we needed the experience of the music industry to help us. So as you know, and as Lee's explained, we got Tap Music and Ben Mawson on board. Um, and it was a game changer, really, because, you know, Tap have the contacts in the industry. So we understood Eurovision. We knew what it took to do well at Eurovision. But Ben brought the music industry on board and brought the artists and the contacts. Um you know, so I, I, for example, when even even the summer last in summer of 2021, I went to Tap Music. I did a presentation on Eurovision. I explained, you know, things which seem obvious to people. You have to have a great song. You have to have an artist who can perform. You know, a world class performer. You know, I was showing them clips of everyone from Barbara Pravi to Moniskin. You know, this is what it takes to do well at Eurovision. You know, you need great staging. And that, you know, doesn't have to be big elaborate props. It can just be, well, Barbara is a great example, where just great camera work and simplicity is great staging. But we felt it was important that we shared our knowledge of what it took to do well at Eurovision, and they brought in the contacts of the music industry. So, you know, as soon as, um, as Sam was pitched to us and we saw, you know, saw him perform, heard his voice, heard Spaceman for the first time. I When I first heard it, I in my head, I could see the staging potential of the song. So I would say really, as soon as we heard Spaceman and Sam, I thought we, we could do really well at this thing this year. This could be could be a game changer for the UK. What was that like when you uh, went, to, went to tap music and did that initial pitch? Were they immediately on board? What was that sort of initial reaction from, from the team there? Tap and Ben were really, really enthusiastic. Um, you know, I think, and again, I think Lee might touch on this before, you know, Ben came to the BBC. He wanted to help us with this. He, you know, he, he loves Eurovision. He's competitive. They're all competitive. So they were receptive to hear what we had to say. Um, you know, what, what, could, what learnings could we bring to them to help them, you know, get the whole package together? So right from the off, um, Ben was like Ben's competitive. He doesn't want to come. He doesn't want to come tenth, to be honest. Ben wants to win Eurovision. <laughs> it's you know it's why we're still working with Tap Music again this year. Why well, not I personally because I'm now involved in the main production. But why BBC Studios and the BBC are working with Tap Music again this year because we want to repeat that success. 
you know, we, you know, inevitably it'll be a very different sort of act, a different sort of song. But we know we know what is needed now to do well. And and to be fair, it wasn't just tap; it was massive credit also to Parlophone, Sam's label, and Warner's International that the effort they put into promoting Sam, both in the UK and across Europe, made a huge difference. So yeah, you know, we're looking to repeat the success. This is not just a one-off. We can't just do one great year and go back. We need to we need to maintain that consistency. I think you know everyone always talked about um, you know that we were looking for our, a nuke moment in the Netherlands, mm. um, which you know we very much saw Sam as being that. Um, and actually, as, as everyone listening to this will know, the Netherlands since the nuke have continued in that form. You know, they've consistently brought great songs, great performers. And that's exactly what the UK and the BBC want to do. So, um, yeah, long may that continue. Absolutely. I um, I pulled a, a quote of yours from uh, from Turin while I was um, prepping for this. Uh, let me read it back to you and I just wonder how you react to it. OK, go on. <laughs> Uh, You said, we have to carry on. This cannot just be a one-off. We must continue. The British music industry is perhaps the best music industry in the world. This is the result we should have been having. And we have to make sure the UK is a powerhouse of Eurovision for years to come. How do you react to to that a few months on after saying that? I I 100% stand by it. I think um, we, we absolutely should be right at the top of Eurovision. We have got an incredible music industry. Um, and you know the, the British music industry has woken up to Eurovision. Um, you know, I, I, as I say, I'm not this year actively involved in finding the act and the song, but I know the team who are at the BBC who are working with TAP. And you know, the, the music in the British music industry are hugely enthused by Eurovision now. They see its potential. You know, we we're recording this on the morning when I believe and hope Sam Ryder will be number one in the album charts um, later today. That's an incredible achievement for a British Eurovision act. Um, it's 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 all there for the British music industry to take. You know, um, everyone knows the success of Monoskin and Duncan Lawrence on Spotify and Rosalind more recently. Eurovision is not a dirty word. Eurovision is a great great opportunity for artists to become known on the global stage and to sell lots of records. Sticking with 2022, you were head of delegation for for the BBC this year. Where were you on the grand final night? I don't think we saw you in any pictures in the green room. Were you, were you hidden away in the commentary box or where were you? I was in the commentary box, yeah. One of the one of the roles for being head of delegation for the UK and the BBC is that um, we are in, the head of delegation has traditionally always been in the commentary box. Um, and that's partly because, you know, um, from a BBC broadcasting point of view, um, whatever the commentators say goes out, obviously, across the airwaves. So it, it needs to be uh, factually correct. It needs to be compliant. Very, very BBC. But it's important that, you know, <laughs> everything is correct. So, um, yeah, it's sometimes quite sad, like particularly this year, it looked amazing to be in the green room. Um, but it's equally, it's a privilege, actually, to be sat in that commentary box you know, with over the years when I've done it, you know, obviously most recently with Graham in the grand final, but over the years in the semi-final working with the likes of Scott Mills, Rylan. Um, in the early days, I was in the commentary box. I was a producer then for the semi-finals coverage, working with uh, Paddy O'Connell in particular, who was very popular amongst the fan community. He's a was a great commentator for the BBC. Um, and a whole host of names like Sarah Cox, Animatronic, Sarah Kaywood, um, have, have all been commentators in that box. And, it's um it's a place where you you know we have to give out correct information to the viewers about the acts we have to make sure the phone vote is correct we don't give out wrong numbers um so yeah so i i was um it was a really strange sensation being in the commentary box this year because we were probably because obviously graham is there and graham can speak to the viewers i was probably the only person in the uk who couldn't let out my my joy at the result because um <laughs> obviously anything i would say would be heard so I was having to sort of celebrate uh, quietly inside. I was going to say, it was there a part of you that was a little bit jealous of not being in the green room. But of then... course, of, of course, <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, if not, not so much about being on camera, but just to be with the team at that moment, you know, because um, like like with Lee at the BBC, we we worked really hard on on um, on the UK act and last year from well, as I say, from the summer we started work on this project. So, um, yeah, just to be, I think just to be part of that team celebrating would have been wonderful. But having said that, it's, it's still an, honestly, it's a privilege to be in the commentary box um, with Graham during the final, um, helping him, providing him with the facts. And of course, also, we always 
famously have um, a bottle of wine in there. We have to smuggle a bottle of wine in to toast to Terry Wogan at Song Nine. So, you know, we don't we don't have massive drinks like in the green room, but, you know, we, we make sure we have a, a glass to, to toast to Terry at Song Nine. You behave yourselves then. Yeah, that's probably my main <laughs> job, actually, making sure we get that um, glass of wine into toast to Terry. <laughs> Give us an idea about what Graham's like in the commentary box. Give us some insider secrets, because obviously we only hear him between the songs. You know, when he pulls the microphone fader down, what's he like during the songs? Do you get to interact with him or is he so so focused on the act? Oh, no, I mean, I know we have we have a wonderful time in the box. And, and to be fair, you know, we've, we've been in the commentary box for rehearsals, you know, for the rehearsal, the jury final shows beforehand. Graham is brilliant. Graham, he prepares really hard. He, you know, he he loves Eurovision. He's passionate about it. He wants to make sure he's giving the cross correct information. He wants to entertain viewers. Of course, we all know he's hugely popular in the UK. And you know, for many years, you know, when the UK perhaps weren't doing so well, he was one of the reasons British viewers came to Eurovision. Um, no, he's he's an absolute joy to work with. Um, we have a really nice time. Um, you know, like you, you, we're actually it's it's. It's like being viewers at home, you know, although we're sat in the arena and you absorb the energy. Um, and that's what's why, that I think is why it's important we're there, actually. You really do pick up on the energy of the crowd and, and you can you can see things that, you know, you perhaps you can't see on the TV cameras. So it allows him to give viewers that little extra insight into what the atmosphere is like in the arena. And then at the end of that night, especially this year in 2022, after such a great result, when the broadcast ends and Graham finishes the commentary, I guess he gets to have that sort of sigh of relief. Do you have that moment? What is that moment like this year when it sort of all finishes, you know the result you've gotten? How do you, how do you react to that moment? Um, that's a good question. I think... I think it was a huge. It was a huge sense of relief. I mean, there's two sides to it. You know, when I'm sat with Graham in the com- in the commentary box, we're broadcasting for four hours, so you- you're concentrating on on the job in hand. Um, you know, we're making sure that you know every phone number read out is absolutely correct for people to you know to people to vote. That you're concentrating. You know, we're making sure. You know, Graham famously reads out lots of party shout outs to people across the UK who are watching. So I'm you know, getting them to getting them to him. Even things like, you know, we obviously on the BBC, we have to warn people, stroke warnings, all those sort of things. So you're, you're constantly concentrating on the job in hand. Um, but this year had the added, added excitement of the voting, you know, where we were like, okay, there's the first 12 points. There's another 12 points. This is, <laughs> this is something different this year. Um, so as you say, when it finished... I think it was just sort of moment on two <laughs> levels. Finished a four-hour live broadcast, but this incredible result that we'd worked as a team, and it, and it was a team, very much a team of the BBC, tap management, Sam, Sam Ryder's management team, Parlophone and Warners. We'd all worked so hard and were so focused on the end result. It was just huge relief. And then, and then myself and Graham and, and Adam, who was with me in the commentary box, we just wanted to get backstage with the team uh, to congratulate Sam and, and, and the whole team, actually. It was a phenomenal atmosphere backstage. It was, we felt actually, it was, you know, it was the right result. It was a great, it was a great result that Ukraine won. Um, I think, it, you know, I, I personally loved Kalush Orchestra. I think they were absolutely one of the standout performers last year. In, and I think it, it just coming second for the UK felt like a victory for us. So, you know, we were just so happy afterwards. I remember when we spoke to Lee last time, uh, a few weeks ago, I skirted past the question of the after party uh, just to sort of save his blushes. What was the after party like? I'm going to throw it to you, Andrew. The honest truth is, um, be- because the show the show finishes quite late, doesn't it? You know, it finishes about midnight in the UK. It's it's one, uh, one o'clock on the continent, so where we were in Turin. Um, the celebrations very much were backstage in the green room. Um, went on for a long time. You know, there was such an amazing buzz backstage, such such happiness for Ukraine winning, um, and also just a lot of um, a lot of appreciation from other delegations that the UK finally doing well at Eurovision. We got a lot of people coming up to Sam saying congratulations. I think people at Eurovision want want the UK to do well. Euro- Europeans want want UK, UK to do well at Eurovision because of our great music scene, the music industry. Absolutely. Um, let's figure out where your love for Eurovision actually comes from, because I think in the 15 minutes or so we've been chatting, we can tell the passion there. So where does it come from? Take us back to an early age. Did you grow okay, up? Well, I'll be giving away my age a little bit, but I don't care. <laughs> um, it comes from like actually most fans of Eurovision. It comes from watching as a kid. 
It comes from one of, I was, I should point out, I was very, very young at the time. And one of my first ever TV memories was watching, was actually watching Milk and Honey from Israel win with Hallelujah. And um, it was a classic thing, sat in the living room at home with my family. Um, I think my mom was probably the drive of the family who watched Eurovision. And she, to this day, Hallelujah by Milk and Honey is probably her favourite Eurovision song. So it's quite a nice memory to have, actually, that. Um, but I remember watching this for the first time as a kid and this, like, this long show that seemed to last forever. But hearing songs in different languages, you know, it, it, this was long before the internet. This was long before you could go <laughs> on Spotify and listen to tracks from all over Europe and the world. This was like hearing songs, you know, sounds you'd never heard before. And I was just like... Wow, what, what I even now I can remember what is this? It, it everything was really different. Um and I sort of loved it. And 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 actually I, I was I did check before because I had to check the year. It was um it was 1979. And I remember then watching it every year afterwards with my family. Got very good memories of the I mean, I know it's a long time ago and you're way too young to remember all this, but <laughs> the, the early 1980s were a great time for the UK and Ireland at Eurovision. That's when Johnny Logan, Buck Spheres. Bardo, a personal favourite of mine at the time. Mm. Um, they were, you know, that, that was a time when songs um, went into the charts, could get to number one, you know, Johnny Logan, Bucks Fizz. So you heard them on Radio 1. I was just getting into music at that age for the first time. And hearing these songs on the radio and on Radio 1 was, was really important. And actually, that's why last year, it's like it's come a full circle. To hear Sam Ryder's Spaceman, not only just on Radio 2, but on Radio 1 on a playlist for me, was a real vindication of, of the job that well, that myself, Lee, and, and Rachel, particularly as a team, that we'd done working with TAP and, and the label because that hadn't happened in such a long time. And it takes me back to a time when I first got into Eurovision when that was commonplace. So, yeah, that was that, that's to answer your question. Um, that was my first memory and then watched it ever since. Um, huge, huge fan. Yeah, I'm a, actually, I'm a, I'm a fan of Eurovision, you know, not just... A professional in TV working on the shows. I I love the contest. I mean, it you know it explains why I've been involved so many times because it's 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 the best job in television for me. Um, it's it's a privilege to work on it. Actually, in all the different guises that I've done in in different roles, it's a huge privilege to work on it because you know because you you're aware that so many people love the competition and and have wanted us to do well, and that's why last year was so important to us because we we. I think we felt vindicated that everything we knew we needed to do was sort of done and as a consequence well our expectations were exceeded so it was a fantastic result last year i think what we'll have to do is andrew very quickly you'll have to give us a whistle stop tour of all the times okay. you've worked on the eurovision song contest for the bbc am i right in saying is it 13 or 14 it times is, it is it's this this year will be the 14th eurovision i've been to i'll do it quickly because we'll be here forever otherwise <laughs> won't we i suppose i should explain that it's been different roles you know more, more latterly i've been head of delegation but before that i was um the producer of the semi-finals coverage for quite a few years and then in my early years to take you back to my first time i went to eurovision was actually in 2002 and I was working at the time on a daily entertainment news show, which some of your older listeners may remember called Liquid News. It was like it was a brilliant daily show. It was had quite a quite a bite to it. It was um, it it was a fantastic show. And um, the host of Liquid News, a guy called Christopher, Christopher Price, who's sadly no longer with us. Christopher was a huge fan of, of um, Eurovision. Like you would like, I know we all everyone listening to this is big fans, but Christopher was dedicated to Eurovision and he was our anchor in the studio and he never ever left the studio um, and we started on this show and he was like I want to go out to, to Eurovision in Tallinn Estonia I want to go as a reporter and he never left the studio um, sadly that didn't happen because I say he, he passed away actually between us getting the accreditation and then us going to the event but we decided to still go to Tallinn anyway almost as a tribute to Christopher so myself and the reporter Max we went out and we were press delegates, actually. Um, anyone who knows Eurovision will know you get different forms of accreditation. You get the official delegation passes. There's the press that go. And, and myself and Max were given um, press accreditation. But we were lucky to give them a little coloured sticker, which meant we could go backstage. So we were sort of the official filming crew with Jessica Garlic, who, um, who you know, many people remember did really well at Eurovision. She came third. Um, perhaps if I'd known then that that would have been our best result. <laughs> before, <laughs> before last year um, would have been a surprise but um, yeah so went out to Tallinn and I think like 
many people who go to Eurovision for the first time, particularly those who are lucky to be either part of a delegation or backstage or be in the press area. I was just like, wow, I had no idea this event was this big. Even in 2002, it was a huge setup and just sort of fell in love with it and was like, I have to work on this as often as I can in whatever capacity. Um, and I think the, the most interesting thing about that year was, um, any you know, Eurovision fans will remember that um, Marie N from Latvia, uh, she won and was a bit of a surprise actually. And um, after the victory, we were due to fly home the next day. But of course, because um, Latvia was the neighbouring country to Estonia and we were working for a news crew, we're like, right, let's, let's keep going with this. So we heard that she, would, she and her delegation were taking a coach from Tallinn down to Riga the next day. So we essentially sort of followed this coach from, from one country to another across the border <laughs> and um, ended up in Riga where there were thousands of people waiting for her in the central square. And I think for me, that was quite a defining moment because I sort of saw just how much Eurovision meant to countries, particularly those newly emerging independent countries as Estonia and Latvia were. It was an opportunity on the sort of on the world stage, if you like, to show off your country and to show that you're a proud independent nation and, and seeing thousands of people there. So we got great footage um, and we stayed for a couple of days because we had a weekly show on BBC One. So we got Marie N as a live guest on our Monday show on BBC One and we had all this great footage and then finally left and went back home. So, but it was a, yeah, that first one was incredible. Um, I won't go in great detail on all my 13 years. I <laughs> So then just to say, you know, I, I carried on on working for Liquid Liquid News for a couple of years. We did shows with which Claudia Winkleman fronted, Liquid Previews. Then in 2004, um, I joined this sort of official delegation working for BBC Entertainment, as it was at the time. It was the year in Istanbul, Turkey. We did a couple of um, preview shows called On Location with Lorraine Kelly and Paddy O'Connell hosting. Um, I, there was myself and Simon, we were the two producers. We had a show each. And... Um, my show was on a hotel rooftop in old Istanbul. And again, my memories are, there was, again, you, you, I don't know how big a fan, James, how far you go back, but a, a Maltese couple called Julian Ludwig. It was like opera pop. And even to this day, I can remember them stood on this hotel rooftop in Istanbul singing this opera pop song. I think it was on, an, off, on, a, off, on a game, something like that. Just this surreal moment of opera pop coming from the top of a hotel rooftop in the middle of our show. Um, and then, yeah, carried on for several years, uh, producing the semi-final coverage. And then um, I, I wasn't there every year, obviously. Anyone who's good at maths will know that I've not done all of them. Um, I came back in 2012 um, to be head of delegation that year. That was my first time as head of delegation, first time in the commentary box. You know, it, it was it was at times a bit frustrating because, you know, you'd want to be part of being involved in the act and the song. And I didn't really ever get that as head of delegation until last year. But it was always a privilege. Um Baku was interesting 2012 because the time difference, four hours ahead, if you can imagine. Um, the show didn't start till midnight locally. So, yeah, and then and then over the years, I've been backwards and forwards over different years um, as head of delegation. And then obviously most recently with um, last year in Turin, which was the highlight, to be honest, for obvious reasons. I mean, some of the stories you, you come out with just put it into perspective about what what Eurovision is actually all about, doesn't it? I think some people look at it and think, oh, yeah, it's that one Saturday night show in May that we all watch and never uh, never think about for another year. But there's so much more to it. And you've clearly seen a hell of a lot. Yeah, I mean, the planning that goes into it um, is, you know, is huge. Even just the broadcasting side of it. Obviously, you know, we often talk about the act and the song, and that's the most important bit because that's that's who's on stage representing the country. But just the, the team behind the scenes who are who are broadcasting the shows, and there's been years when we've done additional live shows and we've filmed VTs with the artists and we've edited them on site in a hotel room somewhere to make sure they're ready in time. Um, it's it's you know it's um, there's so much does go into it, and yeah, it, it's as I said earlier, it's 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 a privilege. It really is. And also, it's like one big family, not just the team you work with from the BBC, but the Eurovision family. It's a cliche, but, you know, it's one of those few opportunities working in this um, in television where every year you can go back and you can see some of the same people, you know, some of the heads of delegations or people who work within the EBU. Um, and, and actually, more importantly, those people stay with you even when they're no longer working Eurovision. I think some of the nicer stories have been some of the volunteer hosts that have worked with our delegation over the years. Um, 
you know, particularly there's, there's, there's some that stuck in mind from Malmo in 2013 or Tel Aviv in 2019, who stayed in contact with the delegation. They, they for, for one, one or two weeks only, they, they became British and they, so, they were so proud to be part of the team. Um, and it's just, it's just a pleasure to be part of that, that family, really. Can we touch on 2012? You mentioned that was the first time you were head of delegation. What was it like to get that job that year? You know, you mentioned how long you've been a fan for. And we all look in and we all think the head of delegation is such an important role, which you would, you know, you can attest to. And to get that call up to do that role in 2012, what was that like on a, on a personal level? Oh, of course, it was, it was, um, it was phenomenal. It you know, it, as you say, it's you know, it's it's a very grand title. It's not a title you have in television normally. Um, to be head of delegation, it, it's it's got a responsibility with it. Um, and it was quite a late call, as I say. I, I think I think I didn't start until something like the February that year. So by that time, um, well, it was it was Engelbert Engelbert Humperdinck, famously that year. You know, he'd already been chosen. The song had been chosen before I was involved. But actually, what came with Engelbert clearly was huge amounts of media and press coverage. And so that was that was big part of on um, big part was basically looking after him and, and uh, you know, and, and getting across all, all working on all the press attention that we had that year was a big thing. And then, you know, just also working out how we would stage it. You know, Engelbert famously was an older contestant. Um, you know, what felt appropriate. We, we brought um, Arlene Phillips in, actually, to help with the staging that year. Arlene had previously um, been involved in the J.D. Ewan year with um, J.D. Ewan and Andrew Lloyd Webber. She's, a, again, a huge fan of Eurovision. She often texts me on Eurovision night and, you know, was one of the people who congratulated us last year. So it was, it was you know, with not a lot of time, it was about how we managed Engelbert and all the press attention that came with going to Baku and also how, how, we, how we staged what was quite a simple song, actually. So, yeah, I mean, it was an honour. You know, again, my first time in the commentary box, um, as well, so it was fantastic. Surely a challenging first yet <laughs> head of delegation. Though you mentioned it's Engelbert, he's yeah. such a such a well known star, so much media attention, and then like you say, a song that was fairly simplistic and required a lot of attention to de- attention to detail. Should I say yeah. with the stage? And so quite a challenging first year of head of delegation. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, but an exciting opportunity as well. Um, you know, you you just you want to sort of. Put a mark on it. Um, you know, obviously we we didn't get a great result, result with Engelbert. It was not one of the better results, but it was just being part of that world. And, and that year was a game changer as well, wasn't it? Because that was the year of Lorene Euphoria. So to actually see that performance and see where Eurovision was heading was was really interesting to to see and to and to feel the atmosphere when she performed um, and and know that this is what Eurovision could produce. Um, was something always in the back of our minds, particularly when we were given the opportunity this last year to directly influence the act and the song. It was obviously quite a long time since then, but, you know, finally we got there. And, um, yeah, I I, I think all the years before, even if I came on board late, there were always learnings. So that was was important, really, because when we did finally get this opportunity and the time this year to to really um, influence it, I think myself and Lee in particular, we, 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 we used our experience and our knowledge of, you know, sometimes when things didn't go right, but also, you know, we know when, you know, famously when I wasn't part of the Lucy Jones year, but clearly everyone appreciated just how good Lucy was, both as a performer and the staging. Um, so you knew that they were two key elements that we had to get right. You can't, you can't miss out on anything. You have to have a great performer, an incredible vocalist, brilliant staging and the song all those things have to come together and you know we could see when other countries were doing it and we could see sometimes when we got some of those things right but perhaps not the whole package and and I genuinely think that this year that's what happened it was never about politics or um, people people don't like the UK I never believed that I I argued with so many friends about that or people who were not so passionate about the contest. They went, oh, what's the point? Why are you doing it? We're never going to win. And I would go, no, we can win. We can. We just have to put everything in place. It all has to fall together. Um, and, you know, I think, I hope as we saw last year, we sort of, I think the team as a whole, that's what was achieved. 
It's so interesting that you say you have those same conversations with your mate at home where they say it's all politics, we're never going to win. Because as fans, we're all having the same conversations as well. Of course, of course, yeah. And we and we see that, we know that. We, we're we not immune to seeing what people say. Um, so, you know, it, it was just frustrating for us maybe at times, but, you know, I, I, I know I keep banging on about it, I keep saying it, but last year was a game changer because the time, the resource, the effort went in and it, everything just came together and we were so, so lucky with Sam, let's be honest. Sam had something extra special. He didn't just have a great voice and have a you know memorable song. He was a he was an ambassador. He he was he was passionate about the contest. He you know, he, he wasn't just an artist who was coming along trying to promote something. He loved Eurovision like we all do. And that enthusiasm and infection for it just became really obvious with everybody. So they he was immediately embraced by the fandom as well as by the viewers at large. And what's amazing about Sam this year is the support he's had since Eurovision. You know, we've seen a lot in the past, and it's not just exclusive to UK artists, but a lot of the time we see an artist at Eurovision and we sort of never hear from them for a while or perhaps never again. But for Sam this year, his result, and then we saw him at the the Jubilee uh, celebrations in the summer. We've seen him on Strictly. We're going to see him at New Year as well. You know, talk us through how all that comes together and about how important it is as well. It's hugely important. And and I think it, it was, again, it was part of the plan this year. The plan was to provide support afterwards, you know, because if if, if this, if we were going to gain any, any momentum from Sam, it couldn't just be one night in May. It has to continue and it has to continue with BBC support across television, across radio, across social media. Um, and that was very much part of our thinking. You know, we're working, we've been working really closely with BBC Radio throughout the past 12 months and still are, you know, looking ahead to next year. And and it's so important that, you know, it's not just seen as one night in May and that's it, off we go. Um, so, you know, BBC Studios, the BBC Studios who, is who I work for, which is the uh, production, production part of the BBC, um, you know, they have it within their gift. They make great shows like Strictly Come Dancing. They they making the New Year's Eve show. You know, studios along with the support of commissioning and BBC Public Service, we can support the act. And that was a really conscious thing that's happened this year. Um, as you say, that you've just listed the shows he's been on the BBC. But you know what? It wasn't the great thing is it hasn't just been the BBC. As a whole, the British media. I mean, he was also. I think he opened the National TV Awards. He he's performing on the Royal Variety Performance. Independent radio have hugely supported him. He's performed at the Capital Ball, Capital Summer Ball. Um, you know, so there's 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 just huge huge interest in supporting him. I think if the honest truth is, the, the, we all know the British love Eurovision. They watch in millions every every year. Even even when the results were not good, they still stuck with it and loved it. <laughs> so now we've finally got a, a, an artist who's done really well from it. They just want to support him and the public. And the media alike are hugely positive about Eurovision at the moment. It's it's fantastic to see. It's what we'd always hoped for. And it's also been natural support as well, hasn't it? It's not as if it's been you know shoved down our throats or anything like that. People yeah. genuinely love Sam. People yeah. genuinely have goodwill and positivity around not just Sam but Eurovision as well. Absolutely. And when I think the really good, well, the first example is when he performed at the Queen's uh, Platinum Jubilee celebrations. People were blown away by that performance. I mean, I was, you know, it was just like he didn't just repeat what he did on stage in, in Turin. He came and did something different. He gave it a very specific look. I mean, the, the jumpsuit with, you know, everything. There was so much attention to detail. And, and that, you know, that was not, we weren't involved. That was, you know, that was him, his management team, um, Dan Shipton from Black School Creative, Dan Shipton's team, you know, have worked really hard on with Sam Ryder to make sure those performances are, are top notch. And I, and I think also, like, when he recently appeared on Strictly, just the response from the public, you know, he performed twice. I mean, that doesn't happen very often. He opened the results show with a cover of John Farnham, You're the Voice, and then went on and sung the, you know, the, the most recent single, the beautiful ballad that he's performing. And I just saw the response from the public. As you say, it was genuine. It, you know, it, this wasn't him just singing Spaceman again. This was new, a new song, which is utterly beautiful, I think, and shows off his vocals. But also, you know, he'll take on a hugely popular song like You're the Voice by John Farnham. So he just, Sam has a great um, ability to pull in fans from all ages. Kids love him. Older people love him. 
you know, and, and he performs at, you know, things like capital ball to what presumably teenagers, people in their 20s. And I think you, you just can't help but appreciate his phenomenal showmanship and vocals as well as his likability. How much personal satisfaction have you managed to get from this year? You know, we, we always talk about how good of a job the BBC have done this year. And we always sort of just say the BBC. But, it, you know, it's you, it's Lee, it's, you know, you mentioned Dan Shipton, Annabelle, the vocal coach who, who yeah. worked with them, both Sam and Frey this year. Uh, Rachel Ashdown as well. I'm going to forget so many other names. Maybe <laughs> can reel some more off. I don't know if I've missed some. You've just, but you've just illustrated it. It's a team effort. And, and we, of course, we all take we all take personal satisfaction because we all have a part to play in it. I don't, there's no one person who is responsible for that success from this year. It's everybody. It's And it's not just the BBC team and the team we, we've brought on board. As I've mentioned before, it's, it's Tap Music. It's Ben. And a big shout out to Erin um, at Tap Music. Erin, who works with Ben, Erin um, was the one who, who basically suddenly remembered the song she'd been sent, Spaceman, by Sam Ryder, and put it forward. And I have to give her credit because, you know, Ben called me and went, you know, we've got this great song that, you know, and so big shout out to Erin because, you know, that was, she did that. Um, but also, you know, the, as I say, the Warners, Parlophone, Sam's management company, the great, and the team that surround him is, you know, his tour manager, um, as you know, the band, it's really important to him for Sam. He wanted that band on stage with him. And we were, you know, you, you question things. You go, what, why do why do we need a band on stage? He's such an impressive frontman showman. And for Sam, it was important because he, he performs with the band normally. They provide him with that. You know, he wasn't going on alone. He got the support of these guys on stage with him. Um, you know, and one of his best friends, is it, it was on that stage as part of the band. And, and so everybody in their own way played a part. You mentioned Annabelle, the vocal coach, incredible, by the way, and, and you know, worked with Freya. Those, those people are not just being vocal coaches. They are putting someone in the right headspace. They're keeping them calm. They're giving them the best positive attitude. Um, so I think we uh, to, to answer your question, of, of course, there's a personal pride, but you know, it's I'm just one of I don't know 20, 30 people possibly who, who were part of that result. Um, but yeah, but so I think I, I think myself and Lee Smith those together as a team for BBC Studios, and actually with Rachel Ashdown, our commissioner, the three of us, it was a mission for us. Before Sam Ryder even came, you know, came on board, it was a mission that we wanted to change things this year. And you know, the, as everyone described the the Anuka moment, that's exactly what we wanted to do. We, we probably thought it was going to take a few years. You know, in your head, it you know, like a five year plan. Everyone kept saying top half the scoreboard, top ten, top five. Um, but we uh, <laughs> we we did a little better than that in the first year. So yeah, it was, it was um, we were really pleased, obviously. What is what's the pressure like for for twenty twenty three then in terms of the result because it must be so difficult. I don't know. Are you having conversations with people to sort of rein in expectations a little bit because people will be just expecting a second place or, or better, which is obviously a win. But there are going to be so many other results: a third, a fourth, a fifth, a tenth. Listen, listen. I mean, as I, as I mentioned before, myself and Lee, because we're now, I mean, we're now. Um, producing the three live shows we are not we're not in our delegation roles this year so we're not you know we're not working with pat music directly on finding the act that's not the job we're doing this year but the bbc as a whole and bbc studios um the most important thing i think irrespective of the final result is the quality of the act and the song we put forward we just have to maintain that i think we have to maintain that credibility um of course we would love to do you know, do well. It might be amazing to be top ten again, top five. You know, why not win it? I mean, that's that's that is what we should be doing every year. We should be going in wanting to win. There's nobody saying don't make, don't win it. We can't, you can't host it twice. And we're saying that, you know. But as you just alluded to, there's 26 acts in the final. Only one can win, and and the standard of acts at Eurovision in the last few years has, I believe, has just gone through the roof. That for me is the most important thing. We just have to maintain that quality. Um, and hopefully a good result will follow. And I think it's also important as well to stress that it's not always just about the result on the night. You know, you mentioned Rosalyn with Snap a little bit earlier on as we were chatting, and she, you know, she didn't have the best result in the grand final, but her song has gone on to huge success. So sometimes you've got to put it into, into perspective and think, you know, so long as the artist after Eurovision can maintain or sustain a career, even yeah. that's a great result, isn't it? 
Absolutely. It's a platform. It's, it's a platform to get yourself heard and seen by more people. And I have to give credit, actually, thinking about artists who've represented the UK, particularly those in recent years, even when they didn't get you know, the results they might have hoped for, they've used it as an opportunity. Um, and they have been nothing but positive about Eurovision. You know, I think about people like Suri and Michael Rice. You know, they've, 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 they took the opportunity and, and still the, the fan community really embraced them because... They were so positive about the experience. And, you know, it's not about, well, it's lovely to win or come second as we did last year. But, you know, you, you, you just want to be seen and heard by more people and get your music out to people. And, and that's absolutely what it does, irrespective of the result. And, and actually, I've, I've, I've obviously continued and followed to listen to people I've worked with. And, you know, I, I love some of the stuff that Suri and Michael Rice have, have recorded since Eurovision. Um, you know, songs that they've written themselves. Um, and, I th- and I think it's given them the platform to be heard by more people. Let's look ahead to 2023 a little bit. I know there's only so much you can say. <laughs> of course. Give a, well, actually, let's rewind it a little bit, because I, I wonder what it was like for you when you got the news that the BBC had accepted that invitation from the EBU to host it on behalf of Ukraine. What were your initial thoughts when you got that news? Well, at the time I was I was working elsewhere. I was working on the um, Commonwealth Games closing ceremony. So my first thought was, God, I hope I get to work on it because you know I'm, I'm busy <laughs> at the moment. But of course, it, it was I should know the date. I think it was towards the end of July when it was um, you know formally announced that the UK would host on behalf of Ukraine. So the you know the Commonwealth Games were only a couple of weeks later. It was I think we finished on the eighth of August. So yeah, I, I you know we I was aware that conversations were going on, and obviously I said I would I would love to be working on the live shows. It's it's what you dream of doing, you know. You, you're a TV producer. You've worked on lots of big entertainment and event live shows. That's that's my area of experience. So this is this is the dream. This is this is, this is what it's all been you're waiting for. Really, this opportunity. You've seen it in other countries. You've seen how the shows are made, and you're like. I want a piece of that. I want to work on it. So um, I think the news was, you know, of course, as, as everyone has said, um, there's a, a huge part of um, sadness. You know, Ukraine were the winners that they were unable to host this year. Um, you know, by rights as the winners, they should be hosting. But for all the reasons we know, it was not possible. So, um, so you know, the, the BBC have, have taken it on. And I think what comes with that is a responsibility more, more than anything. Um, we have a responsibility to do Ukraine proud, I think. Um, that's that's the, the, probably the most important thing. But then equally with our own experience and, and BBC values, we've got an opportunity to hopefully make world-class shows which um, have you know phenomenal production values, innovation um, within the shows, have British humour, British warmth, um, and the fact that we've, we've been part of it since nearly the very beginning, it's like a love of Eurovision. You know, I want to bring all those things together in those shows. Um, it's a challenge, of course it is. But, you know, the great thing is we're making three long live shows. There's about eight, eight to nine hours of content. So we can do all of those things. Tell us what your role is going to be. You mentioned you've been head of delegation in the past. You're yeah. stepping back from that role because yeah. you're now part of the host broadcaster. So what is your official title for 2023? Remind us. <laughs> My official title is, um, is exec producer of the of Eurovision Song Contest, the live shows. Um, how it's working within the BBC, there's, there's a, you have BBC Studios who have mentioned and as a BBC Studios, we make television, we make productions. BBC Public Service, their role in Eurovision this year is, um, well, there's, there's many things, but it's it's the things that we aren't directly, specifically about physically making the show. So it can be anything from, you know, working with the host city, Liverpool, um, sorting out everything from accommodation and travel, security. So a lot of that sits, a lot of it sits with public service and BBC Studios, who I work for and I'm exec producer for, are specific responsibilities to make those three live shows. Of course, there's a lot of crossover and we, we talk to each other all the time and we work very collaboratively. But yeah, my, my job is exec producer of the three live shows. How stressful is that, Andrew? <laughs> it, you know, it has its moments for sure. Um, I think I think luckily, I've you know, I come back because my, my, I'm exec producer and, and Lee Smith, who we've talked about a few times, Lee is the head of show. Um, so we work together really, really closely on all 
all aspects of putting on these three shows. Um, you know, we, we decided early on we'd split responsibilities. I'll do this, Lee will do that. But actually, we, we come together all the time and we discuss every aspect of what we're doing. Um, I think, yes, of course, it's stressful. It's a, it's a massive, massive production, bigger than anything we've done before. But we've, we've been to a lot of Eurovisions in our time between the two of us. We've seen how it works on the ground. Um, we've, we've listened to a lot of people. You know, one, once it first started, we, we spoke to our colleagues, particularly from the Netherlands, from Sweden, from Israel. We absorbed their knowledge and expertise because there was a lot of things we absolutely didn't know and, and, or we had many questions. And I think that's really important that you listen to people who've done it before. Um, and then you bring in a world-class team. That One of my roles as a producer has been bringing on board the senior production and the senior crew. So like the directors, the lighting designer, um, the sound head of sound. Um, that was one of the first things I was doing over the first few months was recruiting a team to make the shows. So, you know, that if you get the right people around you, then that's half the job done, really. Do you think there's a lot of, I don't know what the right word is here. Uh, relief is probably not the right word, but I'll rule with it for now. Do you think there's a lot of relief that the BBC are host broadcaster for an edition of the Eurovision Song Contest just because of the pedigree of shows that the BBC can put on, especially in the live entertainment business? Uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, I'm sure, I like you. I'm not sure if, if relief is the right word, but I think... Um... Excitement, maybe. Is that the right word? There is definitely excitement and it's an opportunity. Because you're, you're right, of course, when you think about the, the output from Strictly Come Dancing to Glastonbury to the great events like you know the, the Jubilee celebrations, BBC Studios who make all of those events, um, that's what they do. So, you know, many people who work for BBC Studios are freelancers, but it's the same people come back over and over again. So we, as a, as a, as a production company we've got the knowledge and the expertise um so i don't think we're not we're not overly phased by doing it we're as you say actually we're excited because it's the potential you know we don't normally get the opportunity to put on a put on three huge shows inside a big arena you know you don't often get the opportunity to bring in all that lighting you're going to bring in the number of cameras that you'll bring in that that doesn't happen on even the biggest studio shows so i think excitement is the right word do you know what I'd love to see? I'd love to see your notebook by the side of your laptop right now because I want to see what sort of <laughs> what sort of notes are in there. All I'm going to tell you is that. <laughs> no, you're not, yeah, you show, show me the front cover and the back cover, but not the inside. Yeah. Yeah. What on earth is you're not going to tell me? But give me an idea about what's written in there. Like, what are you, what are you <laughs> prepping for? What are you deciding? What are all the decisions that you're making at the moment? Well, I mean, you'll not be surprised what, what a lot of them are. I mean, it's, it's, the, it's the things that have to happen every year. Um, you know, at this stage, um, you know, we're, we're talking about who the presenter lineup will be. Have you decided, Andrew? I'm not going to comment on that. <laughs> this, all, all, all of this will be announced in due course. Um, you know, we, we, we're clearly at the moment working really hard on, on the set design and the camera plan and the lighting design, you know, the intricacies of that. You know, and, and, you know, and I've now, we've got to say, we've handed over to the experts, you know, to begin with, as, as always in these situations, there's a pitching process and, you know, but at this stage now, we, we, we've got a sense of our design, but now there's, there's many people who are looking at the intricacies of where you put a camera and, you know, and, and, and all that sort of stuff. So, um, you know, we'll be, we'll be working hard on working hard with, on communications and marketing over the coming weeks and months. So I'll be working really closely with the communication team, the marketing team. Um, there's obviously all the all the films, the VTs. There's the interval act performances. So Lee and I um, working together on those. Um, as you can imagine, that's it's huge. So um, you know, and we've got a team who is steadily getting more and more people working on the shows. Who'll be making us helping us make all those parts of the shows and if we chat in what would it be about six months time yeah the three live shows have have come and gone what would you want to be talking to me about in six months time how would you want to be looking back at those three live shows i think a few things i think um i think the most important thing is that we've done ukraine proud actually um i feel a real responsibility with that because you know, we obviously we, we work collaboratively with the Ukrainian team, the Ukrainian broadcaster on Eurovision. So, you know, you're getting to know these people. You you, you know the situation they're in, and um, I feel I feel a responsibility actually talking about Eurovision being a huge big family. 
one of my my good friends from Eurovision is someone I actually met in Moscow in 2009, a Ukrainian guy who was working for a different delegation at the time. So I'm sort of aware of what even he has been going through in the last the last year or so. So I feel a huge sense of responsibility that we we make Ukraine proud of what we of the shows we put on. I also want to make the British audience and Liverpool proud. Um, I think Liverpool is a fantastic host city. It's sort of, for me, it has everything that we could possibly want. You know, they, the venue is great. Everything's all under one roof. Everything from the press facilities to the delegation bubble to the arena. Um, the location on the, river, on the side of the River Mersey and the arena being, what, just five minutes walk, if that, from uh, the pierhead where Eurovision Village will be. Having all that close together with beautiful Albert Dock in the middle is something else. And, um, and you know, and it's rich musical heritage as a city. And um, I, I really hope... Because I'm from the northwest originally, I'm not far from Liverpool, and I know just what a great city it is and how welcoming they are to people. I know they're going to do an incredible job as a city. It's not, you know, it, of course, for most people, it's the TV show. But actually, because we're on this podcast, we're talking to a lot of fans and people who I'm sure will be coming to Liverpool. I think they're going to have the most amazing time, both because of the setup and in terms of the arena and um, Eurovision Village being so close, but also the city. You know, one of the one of you know when they when they did their pitch, it was they had a phenomenal um, program of events, cultural events to, to celebrate Ukraine, and I think that's going to be just really interesting for um, anyone who's in the city. And, you know, and there's 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 twelve shows in the week. People listening will know about the dress runs and you know nine ticketed shows. So you know, there's there's lots of opportunities to people come to have a great time. So I think I answer your question, if we do Ukraine proud and the British viewers love the shows we put on and everyone who comes to Liverpool has had a great time, then yeah, job done. Well, Andrew, before the BBC lawyers come and knock on your door and stop you from saying anything else you shouldn't, <laughs> I think we should probably wrap it up. But it's been around an hour of your time. It's been great to speak to you, great to find out everything uh, about your Eurovision history and a little bit of looking ahead to 2023. So, Andrew, thank you so much for joining us. Absolute pleasure, James. Really nice to talk to you. Thanks very much. When you aren't listening, find us on social media at Eurotrip Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. And there we have it, Andrew Cartmel speaking exclusively to us here on the Eurotrip podcast, the exact producer of Eurovision 2023, unlike you've ever heard him before. Well, you wouldn't have heard him at all, never mind like that at all, because he's never really spoken before. Whatever, not even interviews, just never speak. <laughs> yeah, he just communicates by writing things down in that notebook he tried to show us. I really <laughs> wanted to see inside that notebook, I did try, didn't I? You did, you did. No, honestly, you did a great job. Some brilliant, insightful questions, some equally insightful answers, and we now probably feel like we know a little bit more about BBC Eurovision, about that BBC Eurovision relationship with tap music especially, and also a little bit more about what we can expect from Eurovision 2023 in just over five months' time. Yeah, I thought you were going to put a day countdown on that for a moment there. I thought there's no way you've prepped for that. Not a chance. Oh, no, it was great to have Andrew on. Yeah, I think there's so much to take away from that. I especially liked some of the some of the stuff he was saying about his early involvement in the, in the contest, especially that first year he did back in 2002 where, you know, he'd watched it for so long, like many of us do when we're younger. And we've all, or many of us have had that first time at a contest, haven't we? And we just see the scale of it. And it's great, isn't it, to see that even media professionals like him people who are working on the contest now still have that very first memory of going to a contest and just seeing the scale of the production yeah i mean if you haven't had your your first eurovision experience yet actually going to a contest i mean hopefully loads of you listening to this will have your chance in 2023 of course with the contest being here in the united kingdom but another brilliant thing that he said there on that same note of course there's no reason why the BBC won't host it back to back. That gets exciting, doesn't it? The idea that the UK could host this year and then, despite everything else that's going on, all their attention being on hosting the competition, them and Tap Music together could pick an artist that could win Eurovision 2023. Yeah, he sounds confident, but also it's realistic, isn't it? Because we know, I think I said this about an hour ago before we spoke to Andrew, we know what that relationship is like between the BBC and Tap Music now. And if they can pull out another cracker like they did with Sam Ryder in 2022, who's who's to say that they can't win it in 2023? It is realistic. It could happen. <laughs> I am going to bookmark everything you've just said there. And <laughs> we will come back to it on May the 14th. 
and see <laughs> see how right or wrong we were. Oh well, that that could come back to haunt me. Hopefully, it doesn't. Hopefully, I can just come back to that and gloat and say, "There it is. I put it on the record in Christmas 2022." Hopefully. Fingers crossed. I think we're all hoping for that. And also, I mentioned it before we heard from Andrew as well, but I just loved his insight into the commentary box. Working alongside Graham Norton, the previous commentators, of course, Paddy O'Connell, of course, who we've had here on the Eurotrip, on the contest and me, the semi-final commentator for many years. And also Andrew's worked with some other huge names when it comes to the UK and the BBC's coverage of Eurovision. So just brilliant to be able to hear his enthusiasm as well about what he really feels about Eurovision. Yeah, and uh, since I recorded that interview with Andrew, a lot of the other production team have been announced for Eurovision 2023. And looking at that list of names and some of their previous credentials, I think it's safe to say we are going to be in safe hands for the contest in 2023. Yeah, it's the A-team, isn't it? It really is. And I think we can now understand why at the end of our interview with Dan Shipton and Annabelle (laughs) Williams on our junior Eurovision episode a couple of weeks ago, we said... I expect you're probably going to be busy in May. And Dan gave us just a just a blank response, didn't he? Just a, <laughs> just a very telling moment of silence. And I think we know why, because Dan, of course, playing a key role in the creative strategy of Eurovision 2023. And I'm sure Annabelle will be involved with the UK and everything they're doing in 2023 as well. Yeah, hopefully not long to find out a little bit more about the BBC in the UK at Eurovision next year. But... I think it's time for us to wrap up for the last time before Christmas. A big thanks again to Andrew Cartmel for giving us so much of his time on what I believe was a day off of his. So, Andrew, thank you yet again. Really, really appreciate it. Uh, that's it for us in 2022, Rob. That's it. That's it. What a roller coaster it has been. It was nice going back through some of our best moments or most memorable moments from the last 12 months on the podcast last week. If you've not gone back and had listened to that yet, please do. But a big thank you to all of you that are listening. Thank you for joining us. Thank you if you joined us for the first time in 2022 as well. If this was the year that you found us here on the Eurotrip, it means a lot to have you listening. And James, thank you as ever for another year staring at me here every week as we record this little podcast that people seem to enjoy. Indeed. Thanks to you as well, Rob. We couldn't do it without you. That sounded so insincere, but I promise I meant it from the bottom of my heart. (laughs) Sure, I'll take your word for it. I'll see you again in 2023 then, shall I? (laughs) And most importantly, of course, thanks to you. I think Rob just said it, but thanks for listening and tuning in. It really means the world. Uh, We'll be back with you in 2023. We'll see you next year, as they say. (laughs) Make sure, in the meantime, you keep up to date with us online. We are at Eurotrip Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Make sure you also subscribe, leave us a review and rate us five stars from me, James. It's goodbye. He's waving everyone. And from me, Rob, it's goodbye. Happy New Year. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.